Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast, where your source for personal, professional, and organizational growth and development, where we share original research, explore industry trends, and interview executives and thought leaders from across the globe. We hope you join us often for practitioner-oriented content around all things related to leadership, HR, talent management, organizational development, and change management. Maximize your personal and organizational potential with Human Capital Innovations Podcast. Do you enjoy the Human Capital Innovations Podcast? Enjoy ad-free listening by going to the Patreon page, and please consider contributing even at the producer or sponsorship level. And please leave a review. Thank you for your support. Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. In this HCI podcast episode, I talk with Rob Dubin about why organizations are failing to stem the great resignation. Rob Dubin, welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. Well, thanks. I'm glad to be here with you, John. It's a pleasure to be with you. You're joining us from Colorado. I am south of Salt Lake City in Utah. And today we're going to be talking about the great resignation, the great reevaluation, the great reawakening, all these different terms that people have been using to describe the current situation that we're in with a tight labor market, organizations struggling to, to really get good people, and frankly, the mass exodus of people from their uh, current or previous organizations moving to other opportunities. So we're going to be exploring all of that and really what organizations are failing to do uh, to keep, you know, to attract and keep good people and really what they should be doing more proactively uh, in response to the great resignation. As we get started, I wanted to share Rob's bio with everybody. Rob Dubin helps HR departments struggling with the great resignation keep key employees by showing burned out workers how to tap into happier life so they can reap engaging careers and fulfilling lives. After a 20-year career as a filmmaker working around the world for the TV networks and Fortune 500 clients, at age 42, he changed course. He and his wife sold their home, bought a sailboat, and spent the next 17 years sailing around the world studying human happiness and fulfillment. They believe that the questions they asked and the fulfillment they sought and found parallel what millions are seeking in our post-COVID world. I really love that. I'm just super fascinated by this whole idea of sailing around the world for 17 years. Uh, that that just seems so appealing. Uh, so we can even touch on that a bit. But um, anything else you would like to share with me or my listeners by way of your background, personal context before we dive on in? Uh, no, that's all good. I think you could get a good uh, recap of, uh, of my 60-something years. Long-time listeners of the podcast know... I bring it up from time to time. You know, I really love this idea of minimalism, tiny houses, uh, the idea of like getting a, an RV or a sprinter van and traveling around the U.S. and just living simply and going anywhere you want is super appealing to me. Uh, and you did that, but kind of like on steroids because you did it on a sailboat uh, and did it for 17 years. Uh, so tell us just a little bit about why you you did that, kind of what drove you that direction, uh, and then we can get into some of those other components around meaning, fulfillment, and seeking joy and happiness in life, and what that might mean for organizations trying to attract and retain good people right now. 
Well, I, when I was a young child, or not a child, I guess in my teens, I read a National Geographic story about a young boy a few years older than me who had sailed around the world. And I always liked the that idea. It just appealed to me, uh, the travel and the freedom of it. And I was lucky in my teens. I knew what I wanted to do. I wanted to become a filmmaker and a communicator. And I went from high school directly to film school and from film school directly to starting my own business. And I was living my purpose and I got to travel all over the world and do all kinds of wonderful films. And I did it for 20 years and I loved it for 19 and a half of those years. And when I stopped loving it, I stopped doing it. And that's something that most people don't do when they get to that point. If they do get to that point in their career, they, uh, you know, they're tied in and they locked in and they have all these reasons they should just buckle down and stick with something they don't love doing. And in some jobs, I suppose you can still be productive. It's hard to be in a creative field if you don't really feel the fire for it anymore. So uh, we decided to uh, close down our film production company and and go ex- have a new experience. And so and we had had this idea of sailing and being self-sufficient. So we sold our home and bought a boat and went off to do that. Super fascinating. And, and we all have those moments in life where we take time to, to pause and, and really consider what we're doing, if it seems to align with where we're at today. And like you said, for 19 and a half of those years, it worked great for you. It fit well for you. Uh, and we all have different life stages. We all have kind of, you know, we have core values, but our priorities might shift over time. What really is meaningful to us might shift over time. And so we talk about midlife crisis that doesn't have to be midlife that can really come at any point as you start to reevaluate what you're doing and how that fits with what you want to be doing and your core values and your priorities. And so you came to that realization, you made, you, you made that decision, you made a drastic change and many individuals feel trapped. They don't feel like they can do that. You know, maybe they feel locked into a mortgage, their kids are going to school, to college and they got to pay for it, you know, stuff like that, all these different reasons why people might feel stuck and trapped. Um, and, you know, my, my thought on that is regardless of what you're doing, even if you're doing something you might've loved at one point and, and that love is dissipated, even if you're not finding meaning fulfillment anymore, even if you feel trapped and you don't feel like you can move to something else. I I'm a true believer that we can, infuse just about any type of work with meaning purpose and to try to align align it with our values and so i would encourage anyone to t- have a talk with your your supervisor your manager um take stock of your own working situation your conditions your your environment uh and and have that conversation about what you need and what you value and and you might be able to work something out in your existing job um but if and when that doesn't work out life is too short so don't, don't just buckle down and, and put your head down and, and spend the next, you know, 20 years doing something you dread and hate um, because you're fearful about what uncertainty looks like as you might try to make a transition. So, you know, life is too short. Try to uh, be bold and, and, uh, and, and try to find something that might work for you. That's not for most people. It's not going to mean selling your house and getting a sailboat and sailing around for for a really long time. Um, it may mean that you still do the job you don't love, but you pick up a new hobby, you, you do something else that brings fulfillment in other aspects of your life outside of work. But whatever it is, you know, we gotta we gotta look for that because you know, our, taking care of ourselves, our self-care, our mental health, all of that is going to be largely derived from where we 
you know, how we spend this time. Uh, and in fact, work is, is where we spend most of our time each and every day. That's great advice. And I couldn't agree more. I don't recommend to people that they do what we did uh, in terms of, you know, to complete lifestyle change. But that was, uh, I think, your your approach of talking to your your supervisors and figuring out how you can do your job or and every job has parts of it that we uh, tolerate and that is, don't turn us on. And the idea is to just have more of the part of it that turns you on. So uh, that's great advice. And the good thing that's happened out of the uh, pandemic and the great resignation is that HR people and your supervisors don't, do not want to lose you. And so they are much more open to helping you design a job that fits you a little better still within the same organization. Yeah, well, that's actually a good segue. I mean, they should be interested in doing that. The question is, are they doing that? Um, and so whether we're talking about HR departments specifically, or we're just talking about organizational leaders, supervisors, managers, all the way up through executive levels in the C-suite, um, you know, what they should be doing versus what they have been doing, what they what they are doing, you know, aren't always the same thing. So what do you see, you know, organizations, what, what are they failing at doing to stem the tide of the great resignation and to, to continue to attract and retain good people. Right. Well, let me address just something you just said, and then I'll segue into the answer to your question. You know, human beings in general resist change and we change when we get enough pain. So the, the HR department feels the pain first because they're getting all these requests to fill, fill jobs that they can't fill. But when it becomes the, the department head's problem that he doesn't have enough people and he's starting to feel pain, then they will start doing more and more of these things to make their employees happy. So they, they are changing depending on how much pain they feel. But the, the, the uh, issue with the great resignation and, you know, you talked about some of those memes that have come out of the pandemic. One of them is being called COVID clarity. And that's where people during the pandemic examined their lives and they said, gee, I'm not happy. I've done all the things that I was supposed to, supposed, I mean, air quotes, to do. You know, I went, got a good education. I met the right partner. I had a couple of cute kids. I got a good job. I get occasional promotions. And I basically enjoy my job. Why aren't I happy? I'm supposed to be happy now. And so that was the, that's one of the first big paradigm shifts that happened during uh, the pandemic. And organizations have definitely failed to respond correctly because in 2021, we averaged 3.9 million job losses uh, a month. And now, a year and a half later, we're at 4.5 million. And it's holding at 4.5 all through 2022. So all those podcasts and articles and everything everybody's read about better benefits and more compensation and all those traditional things that worked clearly are not working. So that's the first thing that HR and C-suite needs to recognize is what used to work and what you've been doing in the last 18 months is failing. And obviously, you know, the definition of insanity is to keep doing the same thing and expect a different result. So they have to change. And this, so my solution, and I teach happiness, and I can, part of my, uh, 
study of happiness had to do with our, our years of out, out sailing, but the, the uh, positive psychology and the science side, which you probably know, is that there's two parts of happiness. There's hedonic happiness, which makes us feel good in the moment. And then there's eudaimonic happiness, which is that life purpose and meaning, which makes us really feel happy long term and a much deeper happiness. So and then the third little piece of the science of happiness is that the uh, circumstances of our life, our salary, our financial circumstances, our health and our career really only account for about 10 percent of our happiness. So. When a company institutes the massage benefit or the health club benefit or Taco Tuesdays, first of all, half of your people don't like tacos, so you miss them. And half of them don't like massages or health club memberships, so you miss that half. And then for the half that you do hit, you're only hitting, you only can move, potentially move the needle by 10% because that's in that little 10% of our circumstances that affect our happiness. So even if you nail somebody, they love going to the health club, that's really only 10% of their happiness that you could potentially move. And then the third failure is that it, it is that hedonic happiness, which only lasts a short time. So we're really aiming at the little tiniest part of the target with most of our benefits and compensation-oriented uh, benefits to people, we're not hitting them where they really live, what could really make them happy, which is things that contribute to purpose and meaning. And, uh, you know, I, a couple of statistics, I heard one statistic that when people get a raise, they're only happy about it for 16 days, 16 days. And then it just because, you know, it's like the new car you wanted. You just definitely had to have that new car and it's, you love it when you get it. But six months from now, eight months from now, it's just your car. And so if we aim at those hedonic happiness things, and if we do hit the target, we're still only going to move the needle a few percent, and it's going to be short-lived. And then they just take their new salary for granted. They take their new perk for granted, and it doesn't give them the same joy. Whereas if you can help them find real happiness in their lives, then they stay in, in, on the job. And that eudaimonic happiness leads to resilience and optimism and a different way of thinking. You know, the experience of our lives is not what happens to us. It's how we think about what happens to us. And happy people think differently. So, you know, you, you can't, the HR department can't solve the problem of every bad boss or every microaggression in the workplace or every other work, or they can't change your job in some instances. But if you are an optimistic, happy person that experiences that eudaimonic happiness on a regular basis, those problems become smaller in your mind. And so you, you are able to deal with them and you have resilience. So you get burned out much less easily. Yeah, yeah, that's great. And looking for those intrinsic kind of factors is what I'm hearing you say. That's another way of framing what you're you're talking about. Uh, that we can focus on the the meaning, the purpose, the fulfillment, those elements. Everyone needs like you need a baseline to take care of your your needs, your your pay, your benefits, your health care. You need to 
be able to have a car that works and, and that you're comfortable with. You need to have, you know, a, a shelter, all those things need to be there and, and it needs to be equitable. And if it's not, that's going to cause problems for sure. But if you're really looking for ways to engage your people in an ongoing way, you have, you have to design work that is meaningful, fulfilling, has purpose and allows them to grow and, and develop. And if, if you're not doing that, then, then ultimately people are, what we've seen over the last couple of years is more and more people are willing to, you know, maybe in the past they, they would say, ah, I'm just going to stick it out until I get to retirement or whatever. But now they're just saying, ah, life is too short. I, I, I want to move on to something else that, that makes more sense for me and my family. And sometimes that means a new job with a new company. Sometimes that means, you know, gig work or just doing something that's more flexible or completely recontextualizing their priorities you know, to the point where they're like, eh, I, I'm going to sell my house and I'm going to, you know, get a, a, a sailboat or a sprinter van and I'm going to do that instead. And, you know, there's a, a thousand different ways people can design their lives, but ultimately we, we, as human beings, we want meaning and purpose and we want fulfillment and we have to find ways to embed that in our lives. Otherwise we're, you know, if, if our work, which takes up the vast majority of our, our waking hours, if that's not providing it for a lot of people, that's, going to lead them away from their current job. Absolutely. And you, and you're right that, that, that you have to have that threshold, you know, people don't, when they're looking for a job, one of the key things is the the salary, you know, so the compensation has to meet that, that basic threshold but uh, a couple of different statistics, one of them that I'm aware of is that uh, one survey, and I don't remember the exact uh, age of the people, but it said younger workers, 76% of them were willing to take a pay cut to work at a job that had meaning for them. And a, a previous guest on one of your shows had a different question. Uh, uh, statistic, he said they would take up to a 24% pay cut uh, to to stay to get a job that had meaning for them. So, and definitely the younger the workers are, the more they think in that terms of there's got to be this life satisfaction associated with it for sure. And one of the things that is uh, challenging for HR and C-suite is that we're, of course, very data-driven as we should be, but we're getting bad data in a couple of different ways. The, an engagement survey, if you use the Gallup Q12 survey, or your, whether it's that or your own, every question on the survey is some version of how can we make you happier at work? Not in your life, but at work. And people aren't resigning because of just work unhappiness. They're be, resigning because of life unhappiness. And that's that COVID clarity that they got during the pandemic. So the uh, the statistic, the data that you're going on is bad, and then there's other data that's that's also bad, because your employees are lying to you on your engage on your surveys, but they're not doing it on purpose, and this is a real catch twenty two, because if companies are proactive and they are doing surveys to find out what would make their employees happy, most people, if you say what would make you happy they answer with those hedonic questions, more salary, better benefits, more vacation time, et cetera, et cetera. But the catch 22 is we know those things don't really make us happy in the long term. So 
employees are giving you bad information on the on the surveys and then companies react to that and it you know it makes them happy for a couple of weeks or a month or two but it doesn't last so companies really need to focus on teaching happiness and we have this uh mistaken idea that as i said earlier when i've checked all those boxes of you know the good career and the good education and i have a good partner and a couple of cute kids and a nice home i'm supposed to be happy and during the pandemic as i said people found out that didn't work for them they're not happy and they don't know why well if you think about anything you're good at john if you if you play a musical instrument or if there's if you're a skier or a mountain biker or some sport you do or a craft you do or your job, everything you're good at in life, you probably got some instruction in it and then practiced and practiced and practiced until you got good at it. Why do we think happiness should be any different? And it's really something that needs to be taught. So Harvard University has had a happiness studies course for only a couple dozen years and it's already the most popular course in the history of Harvard University. So we think it's not something we should study and be taught and learn, but in fact, it is just like everything else. The, the, the Harvard happiness course, that, that one is just really fascinating to me. I do a lot of uh, research in the space of worker engagement, satisfaction, and even life satisfaction, to your point, and holistically take, being able to take a look at this it's something that organizations need to do better at. And it's, it's something that, that individuals are just striving for it. I mean, it's, it, it's in part a sad reality, you know, that, you know, everyone always wants meaning, fulfillment, happiness, purpose in their lives and, you know, depression, anxiety, these things are not new. These have, you know, been a struggle for many people for a long, long time. Um, but there's been increasing, you know, data around, both the impact of COVID and the pandemic on things like stress, anxiety, depression, uh, with increasing uh, rates of those. But also we see with younger millennial and Gen Z uh, individuals and workers uh, that they have increasingly high levels of, of, of stress, anxiety, depression, even suicidality. And it, it's it's heartbreaking. It's really sad. And so this is a, a systemic societal issue and problem that we need to try to figure out how to address because people just they they're they're floundering for meaning, purpose, and fulfillment. And if if we can provide that in the workplace with our jobs, if we can design jobs that are uh, providing that for people, I mean that's going to meet a huge need for especially the younger workforce, but for everybody. And you know, it's going to help them. It's going to help the organization because you're going to have good people and it's going to help society at large. So, I mean, ultimately this is the kind of paradigm shift we need to go through as leaders within organizations. How are we, how are we going to make sure um, that we're addressing these types of needs so that people can have a more holistically happy, joyful life. And that doesn't mean, you know, you know, being happy or fulfilled doesn't mean that everything's always wonderful. It doesn't mean that you never have frustration, setbacks, disappointments. It doesn't mean that you're, you're never free of stress or anxiety or depression or, or those things. All of that is just a part of the human condition. We all experience that. It doesn't matter how idyllic, you know, and how privileged your circumstances are, you're still going to feel those things. Uh, that's just part of the, the, the range of human emotions and, and circ and circumstance will influence that. But ultimately we also, 
you know, we, we can create better environments where people have a, a greater likelihood of, of finding, discovering and finding and, 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 and creating um, opportunities for them to feel joy and meaning, fulfillment, purpose, and, and happiness on a consistent basis. Recognizing again that there's going to be the natural ups and downs. Everyone has mood changes and, and adjustments and, and all of that's just normal. Um, but we need to have that paradigm shift in order for organizations uh, to get good people and to help our people thrive and, and, and really achieve their, you know, uh, reach their maximum potential. Um, Rob, this has just been a, a really fun conversation. We've only scratched the surface. There's so much more to go dig into here. Um, but hopefully this has given people something to think about, uh, not just for your own life, but for, the, you know, as you're trying to create better environments and circumstances for your people. Um, Rob, before we wrap up for today, I just wanted to give you a chance to share with listeners how they can connect with you, find out more about your work, and then give us a final word on the topic for today. Uh, well, if people connect and connect with me through my website. It's just my name, robdubin.com. And I think the final word is that the silver lining in the pandemic is that millions of people are looking for their own happiness, and I think they will find it. And uh, it starts with making the decision that you are worth being happy, that your life is worth making yourself happy. I think that's the the main purpose we're here for. So uh, I think people can make a decision that they want to be happy, and then they can find uh, avenues, my teachings, other people's teachings online on how to get there. Thank you so much. I encourage listeners to reach out, get connected, find out more about what Rob and his team can do for you. And as always, I hope everyone can stay healthy and safe, that you can find meaning and purpose at work each and every day. And I hope you all have a great week. Do you enjoy the Human Capital Innovations Podcast? Enjoy ad-free listening by going to the Patreon page. And please consider contributing even at the producer or sponsorship level. And please leave a review. Thank you for your support. Thanks again for joining us for this episode of the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. I hope you stay healthy and safe and that you have a great week.